this podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box to this episode. Patreon is a monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. I'm Rania Shatah and this is the Beirut Banyan. I'm a photographer. I think something is going to change. I don't know if everything the protesters are asking for is going to happen, but at least I think there's a momentum that started that yeah. there's no going back. In the meantime, I mean, I feel for the for people. I mean, who yeah. are losing work? There's no money in the country. Yes. So there's a very fine line with. Um, with it becoming harmful to the country. And this is worrisome a little bit. You've been focusing on a subject that I think is is monumental to this time in history, which is women's role in these protests. I'm going to say this very carefully because I don't want to sort of overstep here. Uh, I think a lot of us know your work through that angle, through women and, and perhaps pain, and innocence turned to something else. I think it's a reflection of all the emotions that we know in Lebanon through women's eyes. And as a man, I've been seeing a lot of things solely through women's eyes this time around. And I think you do it a lot of justice. And I'm, I'm lucky because I met you at one of your exhibitions mm-hmm. here in New York uh, just last week. Mm-hmm. And your photo is front and center to the exhibition. I saw it even before walking in. And then I saw you next to that photo. So it's very nice for me to, to witness that moment. But I think I'm, I'm very curious about this time around and, and the ways it stands out, not just in terms of numbers or even necessarily in demands, but in the way Lebanese are perhaps reassuming their identity in Lebanon. And is there something about women today in Lebanon that is perhaps central to the story through your eyes? Not the way we're talking about it on a superficial level. Not just that there are women protesting, but I mean in terms of women's place in Lebanon. Is something standing out to you? When I was there, I wasn't there to photograph the protest, and I didn't photograph them the way, you know, because many people are photographing the protest. Yeah. So I wanted to give it my own angle, which for me was interesting to make portraits of the protesters. Mm-hmm. So I got to talk to them quite a bit, and I was in awe that they were, again, in their 20s, and yes, they were yes. so many women, and... They were. They had so many demands. The, only, the other thing that was fascinating is, for the first time, it was secular. Like you would see, mm-hmm. people like uh, Muslim, Christian, everything. I mean, they were mixed together, and it was a non-issue. They were friends. I mean, uh, talking about not only the women, but I remember talking t- to two guys who were sleeping in the tents mm-hmm. at the at the Shahada at the. In the downtown, yes. and you know, one was a Kevin, and the other one is Muhammad, and they live together, and Ke- nobody cares. Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> and was Kevin Lebanese? Ke- yeah. Oh, great. Okay. I yeah, mean, yeah. there was Kevin, there was Jean Pierre, there was Khudur, and there was Muhammad. Kevin and Khudur. Yeah. So they, you know, they could not care less yeah. about the religion. I mean, they see the world differently than 
uh, us and our old, the older generation before mm-hmm. us saw the world. And right. I listened to my parents arguing about about it. And I'm like, you don't get it. They don't want this or that. They don't want none of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you put the onus then on? The fact that the average protester is so young today that it's a new generation? Or do women fit into that story as well, that it's just both young and woman-driven, female-driven? Of course. I mean, it's mm. women and it's the young generation, I mm. think, and the young women, basically. And I mean, young they women, were, yes. So I found that pretty incredible. I mean, they were there. They were right at the forefront of everything. Yes. They um, And everything was coming out, like, you know, um, domestic workers, LGBT yeah. rights, uh, women's rights, uh, the birth, the birth, to, the right of a woman to give the citizenship to her kids. I mean... Everything that's been kind of, kind of just um, uh, encapsulated just yeah. exploded yeah. all yeah, of yeah. a sudden, and and it was wonderful to see. Now I think now it's becoming real, and it's, there are growing pains in there, and yes. I'm hoping it's gonna still lead to somewhere where politics doesn't take over because yeah. the um, seeing it and oh and intriguing it to the young generation, and they were also so. Um, Interested in climate change, there were there was a woman coming every morning picking up all the trash and recycling it. I mean, it was incredible to see that in Beirut. Yeah. You, I think, said a phrase that I like because I always think of that in the background of a lot of the, your work that I've seen myself growing pains. And for me, this moment is sort of it's definitely moving in a different direction, and I have no idea what that looks like. Mm-hmm. It's just that something. Something is over and something new is starting. It may look worse. We don't know. It's probably too early to say, but it's just that... I mean, even if it looks worse for a moment, I think it would be Long term, yeah. yeah. Now, the growing pains aspect, the work that I enjoy the most, innocence surrounded by chaos and destruction and a lot of the... It's not just the subjects that I see, but it's also the background of these photos that you're in a way you... You are able to capture the Lebanon that I don't know. Something about maybe women in Lebanon are part of that pain, maybe more so than men. And I want to unpack this as much as possible. Is your work going back to something that you experienced at a younger age in a Lebanon that I don't know? And I will never ask a woman her age. I but tell I, you but my wait, age. no, I didn't. I don't have to because Wikipedia shares that information. <laughs> and I know that you were you were old enough to at least have some memory of Lebanon prior to the war. I mean, I was As eleven child, when the war started. Yeah. So I. You're entering that sort of yeah. very delicate phase of life, adolescence, and Lebanon is going through its own sort of emotional outburst. Is there something that's sort of in that window? that is a constant theme of your work, this turning point, not just in Lebanon, but in, in your own life? The turning point in my life is, I think it's too many things, but mm. my, the main turning point is uh, was September 11. Mm. So to tell you, I'm trained as an architect. I was <sighs> doing photography to photograph my children mm. um, and fell in love with the way to tell stories through photography. Mm. And then I'm living in the U.S. And, you know, up to that point, I'm living the American dream. I'm working. I have my four, I had four kids. And, mm. and I became, I mean, every time you hear the news, you know, you hear the them versus us and all the Middle East portrayed mm. in a very, as terrorist, in a pretty negative way. And, you know, the, even though I grew up in a war, the people I knew and the people I... Yeah 
had a relationship. I mean, they were just wonderful people. It's not. So I wanted to go back and tell a story in Lebanon. Um, so because of an American event, it kind of brought back something within you that that Lebanese Lebanese Palestinian. Okay, so both yeah. at once. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, which up to that point, I mean, my father was Palestinian. I lost my mom very young. That's mm. another thing that's probably present in my work yes, on some yes. level. Yeah. Um, but my father wanted me to be safe during the war. Mm-hmm. And he always said, you know, you're Lebanese. I'm the, he's the Palestinian one. I'm Lebanese. So I really grew up owning my Lebanese identity. Mm. And it's not till much later that I was living in the U.S. Mm. after mm. September 11 that I became interested to explore all that side of my identity. Interesting. So I started going back to Lebanon and making pictures in Palestinian refugee camps. And uh, so the early work was in a way trying to get a sense of... I mean, I discovered areas I never knew during the war because the war started in... 75, I was 11, yeah. and I, my circle was very small, so I had never, didn't know that there were refugee camps like 10 minutes by car from where I grew up, that people lived in those conditions. So even even in those years, you're kind of shielded from a lot of the war in, in Beirut itself. Yeah, because during yeah. the war, yeah. I mean, I my the bubble becomes very small. Right. I mean, I went right. to school and all this, and we, we left when things got bad. And which which part of the city, where, where were you during the war? I lived... Um, in, across the street from Collège Protestant. Okay, okay. In Reitem. Yes. So, um, so Ras Beirut to a Ras degree. Beirut. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, you know, I've asked people this question. I'm always fascinated to learn that Ras Beirut was still relatively okay, even at the sort of the late 70s, that life moved on in Hamra and people still went out and there was still sort of yeah. this cosmopolitan feel to Beirut, which to me is still, I, I find that fascinating that in the middle of a civil war, Hamra is still Hamra to a point. I mean, it's fa- it's fascinating, just like now with the protests. I mean, you'll mm. have a protest downtown, and people are, you know, you know, throwing whatever it is they're throwing at each other and breaking windows. And about half a kilometer away, people are having dinner in a restaurant. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the war was a little bit like that. Like right. at night, there was a war, and sometimes life went on during the day in some weird yes. way. Yes. But so, but my work became. I became very interested in coming in portraying the humanity of the culture that I knew. Uh, mm. And this is what started, this is what turned me into being a photographer, really. So 9-11 made you, in a way, your identity somewhat vulnerable in the U.S.? That you felt Not like, at all. No. It made okay. me come to terms with the sense mm. that, mm. you know... I am. I'm both. I'm American, yes. but I'm also sorry. I'm also Lebanese. I'm also Palestinian. And and up to that point, you know, especially in the U.S., if you're, you're everybody's from somewhere, yeah. so you don't think about it. Yeah. I mean, I was I was having babies, and and I was trying to build my architecture career. I mean, I w- I wasn't thinking about identity. I was yeah. just living my life. But when somebody starts saying them versus us and putting people in boxes. And you start wondering, like, am I them or us? I'm the same person. Right. And and it, really, that was the beginning of my wanted me to be a photographer. And then yeah. my work changed over the years. It started more documentary mm-hmm. in refugee camps or after the 2006 war. So I got to go to southern Lebanon, exploring areas that I had never seen in Lebanon yeah. before. But then eventually, I my daughter was becoming a teenager, and I was fascinating with her growing up. And I decided I'm going to just work in the U.S. for a while. But then, as I started photographing these girls in their bedroom, I realized I was exactly one of those in a different culture. At that point, 25 years earlier, different country, different culture. 
So for me, it went full circle. I decided right. to go back and photograph in Lebanon. So you saw your earlier life in Lebanon through your children, to a degree. Or, or that kind of sort of, it, re- it revived something within you. It's, it's actually through photographing. I was doing a project. That's not my children. I was photographing teenage girls. Teenage girls, not your children. Yeah. Okay. But it, you started, saw, it was yeah. inspired by my daughter. All my, work is, all my work is very autobiographical. I see. Yes. I mean, the, the, the way I'm photographing women mm-hmm. and mothers and girls is following my own personal life. Yeah. Uh, including American, Palestinian, and Lebanese women as part of who right, I am. So right. that's important. Yeah. So when I was in the middle of photographing all these different teenage girls in their bedrooms, yes, because the bedroom was for me, you know, the sense of expressing, of, of um, exploring their sense of identity, what they put on the wall. Right. And I realized that I was exactly like those young women years earlier in a right. different country, different culture. But I was also, my room was my little sanctuary and I was putting stuff on the wall that uh, the famous rock star of the time or whatever. So I that, decided that, to go yeah. back and photograph in the Middle East. Right. And then the work started cha- becoming in a way that I'm photographing in both cultures. Yes. And then when the books came out and I always mix it, completely mix them, mix the pictures. Like it's, it's, I don't, so before, because for me, the location is secondary. For me, it's about a girl growing mm-hmm. up and there's this shared humanity of growing up and becoming a woman that happens to all women and all girls, right? Whether it's in a refugee camp or in Lebanon yes. or in a yes. rich suburb of Brookline where I live or anywhere. So there's that, and it became important. So it was the work became political in a very subtle way, though. But I like that it's political, but also you're turning to something that doesn't always link up naturally to 9-11, which is adolescence and, and, mm-hmm. and women. Because I don't, usually 9-11, you hear the other things, which are... It made you exert your, uh, perhaps your your, nas- your nationality becomes sort of more threatened, or your religion, or religiosity, or, or even, let's say... Um, I'm not religious at all, so I'm not even, right. you know... Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. I, I like that it kind of brought out something within you that is not always sort of directly tied to those events, which is really... Yeah, but yeah. you know something, the, the early work, hmm. I mean, I literally became a... Took, I mean, went yeah. from being an architect with doing photography as a hobby to turning into photo- a photographer yes, yes. because of that. Right. So I cannot deny that it was a big changing moment in mm-hmm, my life. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I have a foot in each culture right. and and I'm equally proud. I mean, I'm proud right. to be Lebanese and Palestinian and American. And for me, it was a way of dealing with that whole thing. Right. But the early work I did was more exploring all these areas and just photographing in the Middle East. Yes. The later work, and it stays, still stays till now, became more about combining the different girls from different cultures and mixing. Right. And it became about more about womanhood than about just the Middle East. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. And also, I, I reminded of a conversation I had with Ziad Dwayde, the filmmaker, who said it very clearly, that he's comfortable, whether he's in Beirut, in Paris, in New York, and he's fine with it. Yeah. That he doesn't really feel the need to be... There's no insecurity to the way he feels. That you can be all of the above and yeah. be just fine. And I, I think that kind of art is the most difficult to express. And I think it also requires maybe a bit of belonging to more than one identity at once, which is always a difficult sort of navigation in life. Mm-hmm. I, I know that a lot of your work is celebrated in America, but it's also celebrated in Lebanon. And just for you right now, given that all that's been happening in Lebanon and what you saw the last few months, 
and I know that you were portraying the protesters, not maybe not necessarily women at that kind really of women, but in the women protest, are still yeah. 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 <laughs> so you're still right. You're still drawn to that experience. Do you wish that you were there more? Is there something about having that happen and being here, even if you're comfortable here, even if your career is based here? You know, as my kids are getting older, I am there very often. Mm. So I used to go in the summer and spend like the summer there and then not go at all. I've been going five times a year. Five times? Yeah. I mean, I've really been going a lot. I mean, I don't stay too long. I might stay a week to 10 days. Right. But I have my father. I mean, he's, you know, he's getting older, so I need to be there. Right. Um, My kids are in college and they're or or done with college. So I don't have kids at home. Mm. So I have, I have. Have been going a lot to Lebanon. Um, I feel immensely connected to Lebanon. I mm. just had an exhibition at AUB, yes, and um, and I've had many shows. And yeah. I have to tell you, having the exhibition at AUB, they asked me to go give a talk, and I stood there. And he was my father, and there was my childhood friend, and. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I started crying. I couldn't speak. Yeah. And and here I am. I'm, it makes me so emotional. So I realize I'm connected to Lebanon in in more ways than I could But this emotional expression, it. this what you're, what you're describing mm-hmm. right now, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. I never feel that here. No, me neither. Can I ask you, though, yeah. from your side? Because you're, I mean, if anything, it's a neutral subject, right? It's mm-hmm. woman growing up. That's not a Lebanese thing. You said it. That could be anywhere. Why is it for someone like you, or perhaps I'll mirror this for me, to have it just mean more there? Why does it impact on an emotional scale in a way that I don't think really happens here? You know, I I have to say, being here has been so good for me, for my life, for raising my kids, and for my career. Sure, without I don't a doubt. Think, yeah. you know, but I want to say that, because I don't think I would have even been a photographer if I never left Lebanon. Mm-hmm. I think living here and seeing Lebanon every time I go with an eyes of an outsider and an insider, mm-hmm. I'm able to to connect to Lebanon in a different way. And it's a gift to be able to do that. Sometimes yeah. when you live somewhere, you stop seeing it. Right. So for me, when I don't live there and I go... Um, but is the ratio the same? I don't know if this is the same for you. When I'm there, I feel more insider than outsider. Mm-hmm. When I'm here, it's flipped. Does that kind of feeling dwell regardless? That the outsider component is never really brought down enough? I'm attached to the land in a way that I'm maybe not here. Um, having an exhibition there, having my childhood friends, having my father there meant more to me than probably any show I would have here. Yeah. Bec- and yeah. maybe because this is where I grew up. I mean, yeah. I-, I love it there. I'm attached to it, even though I lived most of my life here right now. Right. So it's, an, it's, a, it's a very raw, intense yeah. feeling and and when I go I have to say I photograph all the time and I think I still think I do my maybe my best work in Lebanon mm-hmm. maybe because I I'm eager to show how much I love this place and to to, to portray that portray that sometimes here yeah, as a result absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I think there's a lot of also what's happening here people don't understand the Middle East very well yeah. to say it bluntly and there is a lot of artists who 
tend to cater to this Orientalist vision that the the, the Western world world wants to see. Would you include photographers in that sort of camp? That I include a lot. I mean, I don't want to. It's, it, it's yeah. kind of uh, all of the above, sort of. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think a lot of there was a fascination with the veil, the hijab, with the wars, and all this. And I'm like, we're more than that. So maybe in a way, I do yeah. want to show the normal, the just the girls being girls and women being women and raising right. their kids, and that's. Maybe boring, but it's reality. Like we don't always have to have a yeah. super political, heavy label attached to us. On it may be political, but in a fundamentally unique way, which is that yes, our women are strong too. Yeah, you know that's and it, that is a kind of politics that's not maybe it's not given enough breathing space in Lebanon or even way people interpret things from here. No, but in Lebanon, I think this is changing now moving yes, forward. Right. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I did start taking some portraits that I was going to make an installation of, of all these women, you yes. know, with the protest. Yeah. And uh, and I'm hoping, but the last time I went, as I said, it became mm. more violent, so the, there was none of that peaceful, inspiring movement to it. And I think maybe it's, it's taking so long, and this yeah. is part of what has to happen. Do these photos of Lebanon, not about women per se, but just the Lebanon that both of us, we don't know. This kind of like a nostalgic Lebanon that we look back on and wonder why did things end up the way they did. They could be from the 50s and 60s. Just a, a Lebanon that our parents and our grandparents grew up in. Did photography, and I know you were an architect before becoming a photographer, but did that play a role in your curiosity about the field, these photos that the diaspora always hold on to, a Lebanon that simply is just gone? I think about it. I don't know if it affects my f- photography, if, if it is not consciously. Right. It didn't draw you to the field either, per se. That, no. Okay, that's interesting. So it's really a very, very, very pure and personal story. This yeah. is your This is your world through your eyes. Very I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think so, and I and you know, this Diane Arbus has um, has a quote that I love, and I hope I'm, I quote it right. Uh, the more specific you are, the more general it would be, <laughs> and I love that because, you know, I mean, doing something through my own experience, I'm hoping as a woman and as a mother, and also as somebody from two cultures might resonate with the larger world, even yes. though it's yes. coming from somewhere very personal. Right, like I did. My project, The Girl in Her Room, was based on my older daughter when she became a teenager. Then I did a project titled L'Enfant Femme that was based on my younger daughter. And you did a photo at the Rose House in Ras Beirut. Yes. And that, I mean, see, the thing is, I see that as well in your photos. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think you just sort of stumbled upon that home and you said, let's take a photo Mm -hmm. here. I assume that is something beyond just the woman in that place. Oh, absolutely. Right. But I tell you what, I started in 2017 or so. I mean, Mm. I was losing my hair. And you see, it's so much part of who I am. At the same time, I was invited to a residency at Kenyon College in Ohio. And again, my daughters were at that age of being 20, 20 some and being Mm -hmm. lost Mm -hmm. a little bit. And, and, uh, and I fell in love with the Ohio landscape. And because of the whole sense of hair. I was yes. obsessed with our physicality and our texture. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I started again this project in the US dealing with the landscape and the relationship of the person to yeah. the landscape. And right. then again, it's important for me to include Lebanon. And for Lebanon, mm. I'm fascinated with the texture of the city that has so much of these old walls 
and uh, yes. and that's the fabric of the city. Right. And so when I started thinking of places, the pink house, La Maison Rose, was yes. something I wanted to explore because mm. for me this is very much part of what I remember passing by and it's like a symbol of that thing that's still standing despite the, the war. Ch- from your younger years, not from... Not only uh, younger years, uh, all along. And yes, I go yes. running, out, I used to right. train for the marathon, I would run on the corniche and look <laughs> yeah. at it and I was always fascinated yes. with that house. Yeah, yeah. The, the symbol of these houses that are still standing. Yeah. Uh, that could be destroyed one day, but yes. they're still standing. Yes. And then, and they're very much for me the backdrop of these women who are now downtown and and uh, right. resist and doing yeah. the revolution or whatever it is. Yes. They grew up with that backdrop of the war hanging over their head, even though they never lived it. So those remind you that those symbolize more the war than anything. They don't. The, have... It's for me. It's the symbol of the. Kind of these structures that are still standing from the war, yeah. but it's also very much for me again a sense of tactility and, t- and texture right. of the city. Right, right. But also f- that woman portrayed in the pink house. I mean, the way her body, she's looking at me, but her body is almost turning to the water. Yes. So there was yeah. something symbolic about moving forward from that right. a little bit. So right, that's right. more what I see. Yeah. Uh, the pink house. I mean, it's. I don't even remember it from before the war. I remember it when I was going back, but it wasn't in such poor conditions where I would go running at Corniche and it was always standing there and it was majestic. And And now it's really just... It's barely standing up. Yeah, barely. But I do see loss in these photos and I see a stunted maturity. And these things, I know they're personal and it's what you know, but... For me, it's, it speaks more to the Lebanese story. And I know that they represent a broader theme, but I can't help but see the Lebanon that I... No, I mean, uh, I love yeah. that you see some of that. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I mean, I do work that... I mean, when you make art, I'm making words that for me to deal with something right, or one right. way or another, how yes. I'm starting from inside, turning into something. And then if you're seeing something in it, then that reminds me of something that you could re- relate to yeah. and it moves you in some level. That's a gigantic honor for me. I mean, that's honestly, <laughs> that, I mean, I don't want to over, I mean, I'll say that's how I, that's how I've come to learn about you is that these initial photos that I saw, I was so taken aback by them. And I mean, I'm going now more than this is maybe 2007. This is a while ago, mm-hmm. and I I remember like just falling in love with certain photos. But again, I, I think what you're doing is actually the the right thing, which is your personal story. You're giving the audience their own personal reaction. I love that you're saying yeah. that. But I hope, and I I truly hope that my photos feel very intimate because I build a very intimate relationship with the woman I photographed yes. very intimate I mean like and and I think on some level there's something that is a man probably would make a different picture uh, the, the photo that was recently exhibited in New York this sort of woman lying in a in the uh, water in the water what, what is the name of that photo is there is there a name to it I usually you? give the name of the of the woman in the okay. photo well, what was her name her name is Ala 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 okay so you were very kind to show me a photo of her next to the photo. Yeah. And she was embracing the photo the way she embraced, embraces the water. It's mm-hmm. almost like a du- duplicate. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic. It's like, how did you manage that? It's like, no, no, that's literally your subject re- reacting to your work. And it's almost like um, 
two la- two layers of personal baggage at once, and you're able to see it. I think that's very cool. Yeah, no, it's very very cool. Now, but, but that's cool that you're the way you're presenting it because it means a lot to the, me to the keep thing, the girls and the, the women or the young women in the loop of yes, what happens yes. with the work. Because for me, it's it's especially with the newer work I'm making, what's called the she series, it's moving into something new where it's based on a collaboration. So mm, it's mm, very mm. much... Um, Sorry, collaboration among photographers? No, or the with collaboration the with me and the woman I'm uh, photographing. Yes, right, right. So it's not, the, it's not that... It, it, when I started my early work with documentary, which was I'm, ex, I'm, ex, I'm observing a scene, I'm disappearing and I'm photographing, and this is becoming different where we're building that whole thing together. Yeah. So the picture of Ala, basically, she had the idea of where we should go and I, we went to Khiyam, which I didn't know Khiyam well. I didn't. Oh, she took you there. I mean, yeah, she's oh, from Khiyam. Oh, right, okay. So it was her idea to go there. So it's her own personal photo, in a way. Like, that's yeah, what I mean, she no, wants but to show you. We built it together, the photo. Sure, you know, sure, Like, yeah, it's yeah. also my vision, but yeah. it's... Not, so it's, this is what I'm saying. It's a, it's a full 100% a collaboration. Can I ask you, why do you do that? Why do you take that extra step? To... I love it. Hmm. And I love that I'm discovering new areas. Yeah. I'm, I feel like uh, it's... You know, the work changes over the years. Yeah. And and it's nice to evolve in one way or another. Right. Um, I have I had pictures included. I mean, I was doing this work that was more, um, again about the texture and the physicality and all this. And and the National Museum of Women and the Arts chose three images to put in an exhibition. They called "Live Dangerously." <laughs> And I loved that they saw that in my yeah, work, the yeah, live yeah. dangerously aspect. So it moved the work a little bit in that direction where right. there's a sense of risk-taking. But I want it to be about empowerment, about making art. So I have collaborated many times with Allah since. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I said... You no, know, no, but I love it because, yeah. you know, she's covered in black. I mean, talk about... And for me, it's like, because, you know, I'm telling you, I'm I'm tired of watching and seeing all the women with the hijab and all this. So for me, it's like, at some point, I forgot about that the fact that she's yeah. covered because yeah, yeah. she's just, she's such an artist at heart. I'll be frank. That's not even, I mean, it's of, yes, it's in the photo. But yeah, but it's, it's not, but it's a, not it's what you see. Exactly. Yeah. It's and a non issue. It's a non issue. So for me, that was important yeah. to me, even because. You're bringing out that human, I mean, her facial expression in itself is the photo. Yeah. But then you can forget what she's wearing right away, which I think is, is quite powerful. You become, in a way, uh, adjusted to what people talk about, and you take it almost like it's, it's a passing issue. Like, who cares what she's wearing? Look, yeah. how, look how happy she is. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I'm going to bring it up again. If you can take me back to the, the more youthful, the more childhood years of Lebanon for you, before the Civil War breaks out, because you're 11, I know, mm-hmm. but you're, you're, I mean, 11-year-olds can, I mean, they know things are going wrong. I don't think the war on a conscious level affected my work. The only thing hmm. what I want to say yeah. about the war is is I and and maybe if we go back to September eleven and the fact that I got stuck in the war in two thousand and six with my oh, kids. Yeah. Uh, so I relived the war as an adult with children. Right, and that was right. what I thought I had forgotten the war. I realized how much came to me just like that. So it was Oh so July two thousand six you were there. I well. wasn't yeah, I yeah. wasn't I had just arrived yeah. basically. <laughs> we arrived in one of the last flights that landed wow. before the war started then that night. Yeah. So, but I, I had four children. My husband wasn't with me. So wow. it was traumatizing yeah, yeah. as an experience. Yeah. And uh, 
and this is when the war that I thought I had forgotten that little things came out but right. um, I mean the only thing I would say about war I mean so sorry two, two, two stories at once and then we eventually escaped via Damascus and when we and at that up to that point I was just I needed to get my kids out of here that's yeah. all I cared about and when we got to the border and there was a truck full of women and children and I'm like, oh, my God, I need to come back, photograph the aftermath of war. Because every single one of these people, they have a story just like me. And, right. and this is when I went back and photographed the aftermath of war. So for me, that was important to include. Mm-hmm. Because when you talk about the war in the news, especially when you're outside of the war, yes. it's almost abstract. Absolutely. Even even when you have photography involved, it's still very abstract. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to photograph the aftermath because when the war is yes. over, people forget about it and yeah. move on to something else and they don't. Right. So that I went back and photographed the immediate aftermath of war. When it so was you brought over. your kids back to the States and then you made when your way. Things were quiet. I'm not a war photographer. I'm not interested in being a war photographer. Yeah. I lost my mom young. I don't want my kids to lose their mother. So, and I'm not a war, but I went back and photographed the aftermath of war. And that became part of my first book. So the the human side is always paramount in a sense that there's that kind of, it it overrides any other sort of issue. Yeah, all my work is about people. I'm not interested in, I mean, I love landscapes, but I'm not interested in photographing them. Um, No, I love photographing people and and yeah. telling and I get to know people through it. like I make right. I become right. close to the people after I photograph them I think very few professions allow you to be intimate with your subjects or your client whatever you want to call it but that's but you know not everybody <laughs> is I think maybe the way I work with the woman I think you know when I was um when I started I was I used to photograph my children this mm. was my only project mm. and I started photographing in the refugee camps in the Palestinian refugee camp and I remember showing the work to somebody in the US who told me you need to have the same intimacy with everybody you photograph as you have with your kids which is a big responsibility yeah but that's... that was the best advice anybody ever gave me wow so wow. I I always when I give talks I start with those pictures of my kids because I'm like that's interesting you have to to get cl- I don't use a wide angle I don't use a long lens I use a wide angle lens right. I'm Right. right there with people yes. in all my work. Okay. With that said, I'm just I know nine eleven is the turning point in your professional career, but you left a very sort of an, an I mean an, an envious occupation. Many people wish that they could become a professional architect. And you decide nine eleven to that's it. Make the shift. You know what? I didn't decide. No. It kind of was kind of a gradual thing and mm. then I realized Oh my God, I fell in love with photography and yeah. I'm doing more of that. And by then I, I had four kids. So I had left my office and I was working more. My husband's in construction, so I was working I from home. Yeah. So it became kind of this very organic shift. Right. And one day I'm like, oh my God, I'm just doing photography. And the work started getting attention relatively quickly, which yeah. was very motivating in a way that people... We're interested in looking at a human side of the yes. Middle East. And but I think this is good advice for anyone who's sort of second-guessing their profession to have hobbies on the side because those hobbies could turn into a more yeah. personally rewarding occupation later. And I think very few people can make that transition successfully. Yeah, and I always tell my kids now because they're always so stressed. What am I going to do? What am I going to yeah. do? I'm like, you know, just follow your instinct and you're going to work and right. then... You know, I mean, we go to college when we're 17. I mean, it's, we're so young. Sometimes people know what they it's want, true. but sometimes we don't. So things could happen later in life. I think you're very lucky if you know what you want to do at that age. I yeah. think most people don't. But I mean. And that being said, though, 
my training as an architect is so important in my photography. Well, this is okay. So I was going to ask you about that. I, I'm just, I'm going to say what I think and you tell me if I'm wrong because I tend to be wrong. <laughs> that is why you always have these structures in the background. Yeah. And sometimes it's not structures, like it's landscapes, you know? So I meant could, structure in the loosest term. It could yes, be a yes, wall. Yes. It could be anything. Just that you are not only focusing on people. There is something there yeah. in the background. I'm very aware of the background. And, yeah. when, and I teach photography and I always tell people to look at the whole frame, mm-hmm, not just as mm-hmm. the center of the photograph, because every little inch of the frame... Yes is part of the photo. Right. Uh, right. So I, I'm, my pictures are pretty structured, but I also have the sense of texture and light and that yeah. comes with the visual training of being an architect. So that's the recipe. That's the secret ingredient. To be a successful, happy photographer, you should start out as an architect. I, know, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I mean, it, everything has its ups and downs. I love so, yeah. architecture still. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I love design. When I do my books, I probably drive the designers crazy because I'm very involved in the whole design process. Lebanese architects have a fond, fond nostalgia for these old homes. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not what they're building. I know they're not designing those homes, but they are fascinated with those older homes. Absolutely. Not just the Rose House. Any of these sort of majestic gems. Oh, yeah. That are I mean, I have more of them. And I have the picture, uh, like I went to the, I found the, what do you call it? Shadar Khoury mentioned, uh, and it's a gorgeous house. I went to the one in um, the Grand Hotel in Sofar, and there's one in Torishwer. They're beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm hoping that's. I'm hoping to God they won't destroy them. I've seen. I mean, when you say the Rose House, what I remember is all the beautiful homes leading up to the Rose House that are gone, and mm. the old lighthouse. I grew up there. I grew up right next to the old lighthouse. And that, to me, is such a beautiful part of Beirut. And mm. unfortunately, it's that old lighthouse and a handful, yeah. very few places that are just lingering there. And the Rose House is the most striking one. And it's really about to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there's something about memory, capturing memory and giving it a human touch. And these kind of, these are ingredients I think you have to grow up in Lebanon to really achieve. It's not easy to do that with a blank slate. I think you need a lot of emotion as a child to appreciate that kind of beauty later. And I honestly, most of the photos that I've seen, your work, they make me rethink my own place in Lebanon. And I, I'm very lucky that I'm actually do recording in your home. <laughs> and, and anyone that's listening, uh, this is the Irania Matar exhibition, the permanent <laughs> exhibition you've put up. Wonderful photos, and actually, the entrance is a photo I know well. From yeah, this, this is the, the cover of my first book, actually. Yes. That was just after, that's from late 2006. I'm not, that was literally after the, uh, just, yeah, literally right. after. This yes. is when I went back right after right, the war. Right, right. That actually, that might be so the that photo. was September 2006. Right, right. I think that's the photo that I saw that turned me towards your work. When it comes to the protests, uh, I've, I've spoken with dozens of journalists who are talking about Instagram, uh, citizen journalists that are just literally taking photos of the moment and sharing it. And I associate Instagram with that kind of quick, easy access. It's not where you go for sophisticated photography. That said, I think it's a powerful way of sharing your work. I was kind of baffled when I met you. You were standing next to a wonderful photo that you're exhibiting, and you were showing me 
another photo of yours on Instagram on your phone. So I know that there's something there. A photographer has to use Instagram. To be honest, I have to use Instagram. I do a podcast. Mm -hmm. I have to use Instagram. What is Instagram to you and what does it mean to you? And are there benefits? Are there disadvantages? Just your knee-jerk reaction to this thing. I, I, have, I literally have a love-hate relationship to it. I think it's mm. important to have it. And, I, and I, I used to use it, as you said, when it started, just like for the quick, fun moments. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. somewhere along the line, I realized that people who follow you, like there's more at stake when you're posting something now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... So it gradually becomes became something more selective. At the same time, I don't like to just post my work on Instagram. I mean, I had an exhibition last year, mm -hmm. and somebody came to my show, and they're like, oh, I know this picture. I've seen it. I'm like, where have you seen it? It's the first time I exhibit it. Yeah. And they've seen it on Instagram. So... I'm, so I don't like doing that anymore. How did they see it, though? Because I had posted it on Instagram. Oh, they saw it from you. They saw it from me on Instagram. So I realized right, that it's right. taking away... I mean, because I'm not doing photography as journalism. I'm doing more at art. So I, as art. So I have to post something just to stay relevant. Uh, but I'm not over-posting my work. I think I was doing more of that before. Mm -hmm. And now I'm being more careful. Uh, I post it. I mean, it's a very powerful tool, like, to... To, to say what you have an exhibition to right, right. and you have to stay relevant I love see, I love seeing what my friends are doing mm -hmm. on Instagram so with my kids with my friends so I go on Instagram I love looking so I have to post every once in a while but right. I'm realizing that it's becoming a little more stressful like I have to think about what to post and when and you know and uh, so there are there are potential consequences to using Instagram when it comes to sharing your work later that if somebody's already seen it, It dilutes that experience. If it, if people have seen it and it's mm. been exhibited, then I don't have a problem putting right, it on Instagram. Right, right, yeah. But the fun thing was putting it, which is what you say before, when I'm excited yeah, because yeah. I've made a good picture and I want to share it. Right. And I'm often impatient and I do that. Yeah. And then I realize, oh, but I'm taking away from the real thing. So yeah. I, I didn't, to be honest with you, I don't know yet if I'm using it right. I know that there are photographers who are so good at it and you look at their page and it's beautifully curated and all this Mine is not. I still put pictures of my kids here and there. Right. So I'm. It's not a purely professional page. Yeah, I try yeah. to. You know. It's a strange beast, and mm -hmm. it's it's. I know that it's critical to sharing your world, whether it's professionally or personally. But I don't particularly like it, and I say that as someone who uses it and knows that it's beneficial. Yeah. And I'll I'll just use an example. Seeing your photography at home at the right size, the right mm -hmm. the yeah, actual photo of the photo. That doesn't fit on a phone. Absolutely. And I'm enamored. I'm and you know how many times I've said, maybe you're the one who said this. Somebody said to me, oh, it looks so much better than on the phone. I'm like, of course it looks better than on the phone when I, you see I mean, that's something I agree <laughs> with. It probably wasn't me, but I... No, no, but yeah. I hear that so yeah. many times. Yeah. So there's a fine line. So, it's but almost, like, yeah, it's like watching a movie on your iPhone. Yeah. You can't enjoy a film with that ratio, just like you can't enjoy a photo necessarily if it's structured for mm -hmm. Instagram. But is there a way to overcome those limitations when it comes to at least at least getting the message across i mean do, in other words are are you stuck with instagram 
Is there no way around it that you need to have that I kind know, of... I don't know, but to be, I mean, I like that it's there. I mean, when I'm mm-hmm. boarding a plane and I'm sitting there, I go on Instagram, I'm looking <laughs> yeah. at everybody's post. Right. I love knowing what everybody's doing, what yeah. my friends are doing when they have a show, what, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a two side to it. It's not only about what I'm putting out, but about right. seeing what's going on in the art world. But in, in the broader sense, is photography, the, the profession, the talent that is needed... to have a successful career in photography. Is there anything consequential to that when it comes to Instagram? And in other words, are good photographers still good photographers with or without Instagram that you still need to hone your craft? Oh, But, absolutely. But yeah. like, you know, I shoot film. I'm not even shooting digital. Mm, I shoot mm, film. Mm. I scan my work. Yeah. I mean, there's hours that go into it. Yes. And and I think when you put it on Instagram, it's as easy as taking an iPhone picture. Exactly. So yeah. But this is the means we have, and it's right, and right. it's the, so you have to stay, you have to kind of stay with the age and and kind yeah. of use it. But I'm I'm learning as we go along to be a little more careful how I use yeah. it. Yeah, so just caution at the end of the day. Yeah, to a degree, and, and and you know sometimes to think a little bit, you know, like I wish it was easier to check and just post anything I want, but like you know. Like if I saw a cute cat on the window and take a picture and put it, God. but I don't do that anymore. This, this would be great. You become one of those people. No, no, cat. no, but like anything. But I used yeah. to, no, put, I know, this I is know. how it started sure, Instagram sure, yeah. for me. And now I feel like there's more at stake than this. So it's more deliberate. That's a nice way of putting it, that when there's something at stake, you have to become more selective. Yeah. That you don't want to dilute your own. Exactly. Sort of and it was me learning slowly to do yeah. this. Again, it's a thrill. Though, Actually, I have a friend who is a, collector in Lebanon mm. who told me you're sharing too much and it was interesting for me to hear that yeah. because I didn't get it when he first said it I'm like but you know it's good for people to know that I'm right and then I realized you know he's right it took me a while to get to that it's an interesting dilemma I think that all generations are going through which is really like this is such a easy way and yet it's also it's it's something about it that that definitely diminishes from the experience yeah yeah But again, I love seeing your photos in the right size. And I don't imagine an iPhone as big as any of these photos. <laughs> so this is the way it should be seen. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, again, like when I teach photography, I make sure that we make prints. Because right. there's, there's something to be said for the object, not only for looking yeah. at pictures on a computer even. Right. There's, a, there's like a physical... tactile object that piece of art that comes out of it so and, I, can, and, and I work on the, the prints yeah. and I'm, I make sure I work I mean I work hard on making a beautiful print I hope that doesn't stop I hope that kind of no no of but I hope it's, I think it's it's hurting photography in general I think mm, a little mm, bit mm, because mm. people are getting bombarded with, imag- with imagery and these protests I mean the content was less important than the images mm-hmm. I think a lot of us enjoyed those protests without reading what was happening and yeah. we all knew what was happening yeah. but we're just watching we're looking at the images we're i'll be honest i was on instagram most of the time me too because the news though if you're in the u.s they don't say anything right i learned i was learning my news yeah, from absolutely instagram. and even while being there i think people were just sharing photos on instagram And that's, I think, yeah. it's become a communication tool that, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, we can't live without at the moment. But as long as photography as a profession, what you're doing, that kind of intimacy with your students, forcing them to print yeah, yeah, their yeah. prints, that, that's important. In terms of the aspirations for all Lebanese, not just in Lebanon, but throughout the world, is there anything in your mind that the diaspora can do 
to at least make sure that Lebanon is not the Lebanon that we grew up in, that it's a country that will one day work. And I, I'm not just talking about your kids, but potentially grandkids and later. Is there anything the diaspora could contribute more to, to make sure that this country does not sort of fall apart completely? I think the diaspora has been pretty incredible in giving a great image to, mm, mm, mm. to Lebanon. I mean, it makes me sad how capable the Lebanese people are, and you see it a lot of times by yeah. people living outside of Lebanon, yes. and how often they're, they don't have the room to grow in Lebanon because of all that's going on. So, Artists in particular that don't have that kind I of I mean, luxury. actually, artists, if you see now what happened with the protests, with yeah. all the graffiti on the wall, it's incredible, incredible yeah. how it just exploded. Yeah. There's so much talent in this country, and yeah. I hope they, I don't know what the diaspora could do, besides not giving up on Lebanon and trying, like, I try to take my kids once a year. Mm. It's important for me that they have that attachment to Lebanon, that we don't forget... Because, you know, with the first generation, we're always attached to Lebanon. Yes. But sometimes the next generation, and then they get married to not to somebody who's sure. not from there, yeah, and yeah. it gets diluted. And I hope, I, I mean, I hope, my kids love Lebanon. I mean, it's never, they still agree to come with me every year. And I hope we could all do that, so people yeah. stay attached to that country at some level. Because in a way, that's not even, I mean, that's diaspora, but that's also diaspora with with strong connections. It's not just sort of people living abroad that go once every five years. That's a regular sort of... Uh, yeah, I mean, the diaspora yeah. who really left and are building their lives here, Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's just like emigrating for sure. So right, I don't know right. what they could do and how involved. I can. I think it's on a personal level how much... Yeah. And it's, I think it's people who still have family there somehow keep a foot in the That's country yeah. more than people who the whole family left. Let's right. put it this way. That's true. Actually, that that always I think that's a forced connection at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I mean, at first you just have to keep. You know, when you're trying to build a career and all this, you don't. Especially when you're younger, sure. I wasn't thinking that I should go to Lebanon. It's now as I'm getting older that I'm like I, I I'm. Yeah. I feel like I need to keep going, right? I compl- I mean, as somebody who's a little younger than you, I see that myself. That mm. the years where I wasn't there, I wanted to be away. Actually, I thought that I needed to be away. It didn't cross my mind. You, yeah. build, you build your career. So exactly. Like when I went to college here and there was the Arab club or the Lebanese club or whatever, I'm not, I wasn't interested yeah. in any of those. I'm like, I just left a war. Yes. I just want to be like everybody else. Yeah. I think this comes with maturity at some point. I think it also comes with finding yourself at that period of life. The, the background means less. Where you're from and where you're coming from is not necessarily important. It's who you are and what you want to be. And that programs you to look forward, not backward. Mm-hmm. But then when you reach it, all you have is just what you left behind and you yeah, look Yeah, and I'm telling again. you, I experienced it on such a powerful level. Yeah. When at my ex- I didn't expect that. Yes. At yeah. my exhibition at AUB, I'm like, you know, my parents met at AUB. I mean, there's something about this that I could claim yeah. to this place that I don't have here. I couldn't so. say it better. And as a fellow Ross Beirut, I know what AUB means to you, and it's a privilege to meet you. Thank you so much, Ronnie. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Ronnie Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.